Okie dokie, it's finally almost here. Episode 100 is just around the corner, and we've only one last bit of lead-up bonus content for you all. This collaboration was a bit different than the rest, and involved more people than previous additions to this lead-up. And not only is Cam's character from Troubles in Otari in a position of chronological newness, both in and out of the story's timeline, but he is also an odd man out sort of character to begin with. Expect a dark, gritty apathy presented in a very visceral way. The bones of this story are very much Cam's, but the connections with other characters I personally had a major helping hand in. And the extra horrible details... Well, that's both of us. Thank you to those outside of the two of us who contributed to this collaboration. And as usual, if you are listening on the Patreon private podcast feed, keep listening for a chat with Cam on their character build of Telford Rawline. Pushing through the underbrush into a clearing, a haggard and exhausted orc stumbles over to a tree and leans against it chest heaving with exhaustion, gasping for air, while blood slowly oozes from a deep slash in one thigh. Following in short order are two men, a little winded and clothes scuffed and torn from the uncut terrain. They slow their pace to a casual saunter once they see the orc has little left for flight. Of the two, the white-haired half-elf pushes an errant lock of hair out of his face as he pulls a rolled length of thin paper and places it between his lips. Striking a tinder twig off a nearby tree, he lights the end, and a waft of flayleaf fills the air. Corvin, pardon my impropriety, but don't you think you could assist me in the slightest with these endeavors? The other man, human with pale skin, dark hair, dark coat, dark demeanor, dark most everything really, including his pet raven seated on his shoulder, dusts off his coat with annoyed futility. Telford, we've been over this. I bring you along and pay your way, and you do the heavy lifting. Now hurry up and find the places to cut this creature without killing it, so I can begin my questioning. Talford lets out a slow sigh as smoke billows from his mouth. His eyes turn stark white with raised blood vessels running across them, and he stares down at the orc. In his mind's eye, the orc's skin begins to peel away, and he's left with a cutaway image of its insides. He then clenches his fist around an invisible weapon handle and slashes across the creature's abdomen. The orc offers only a soft, dry grunt in response and the raven caws in anticipation of a fresh, warm meal. What happens next, Telford has seen time and time again. It means little to him beyond a means to an end. It's the words the orc eventually proffers that matter. Hidden. In the north. Wizard's Tower. Forgotten to time. Roseguard. Zarmavdian. And Talford need only close his eyes to form the image of the looming ruins of a tower in the distance. The smell of smoke and the sounds of fighting. Mostly him fighting. He'll find something there. He knows it. And then he can be rid of this sloth of a wizard companion.
In a small room full of bookshelves, a half-elf man smoking a cigarette pours over a book with impossible stillness. His eyes are crusted and dried as if he has not blinked for a lifetime. Bags under his eyes indicate that he has been at this for days. There is a certain painful softness to the unders of his eyes from the constant tears his body produced and repeated attempts to hydrate his dried orbs. Even a small layer of dust seems to have settled on his shoulders and sleeves. A woman approaches from behind, cautiously wrapping her arms around him. He doesn't make a motion or say anything, eyes still blankly focused. Darling, come to bed. The book will still be there tomorrow. She tugs at his arm, trying to pry him away. He turns a page quickly, frustration painted on his face. The hasty turn of the page causes the paper to slice the dry and cracked dehydrated skin on his finger. He stares down at the cut and watches the slow, thick pooling of a single drop of blood. The viscous globule forms and falls to the book, staining the page. It's almost in slow motion, as is the internal burning sensation of rising anger and rage. Get out. His voice doesn't have the full effect of his fury. He hasn't spoken in days, not even a clearing of the throat. If his arid tear ducts could form tears right now, he'd be blinking back plenty more. Not because of the cut, not from the pain, but the stain. The stain on the page. There's no use crying over spilled blood, darling. Get out. The woman lets his arm go, hurt spreading across her face before turning stony and resigned. I am done taking care of you, shouldering the brunt of the chores and managing the house while you lock yourself away, reading. Get out! Murmuring to yourself, absent in raising our child, completely inattentive to my needs, and for what? For what? Get out! The man begins to manifest his power, attempting to undo the damage to the page. His brain tears itself at the edges as emotions rip through it. Neurochemicals rush to activate parts of his brain he's tried to keep locked away. The woman is clearly shaken by this sudden rise in aggression, but she stands tall and proud against it. Her lip quivers and her jaw and fists clench. Ever since you split with that lazy bastard of a wizard. Ever since you got that book. You can't even look at me, can you? You haven't had a hint of kindness left in you. Sometimes I'm not sure you ever truly had any to begin with. What happened to the man I loved? What did this book do to take him from me? What happened to the man who used to give a damn? Was he... Was he ever there at all? And the bookshelves all around creak under a sudden loss of burden as every single book in the room lift from their places and form a flying storm in a circle around him. His eyes continue to burn pure white, bloodshot, with rage. A door chime rings a friendly tone as the door to a book and curio shop opens. 
Its proprietor, behind the counter, lounging lazily, looks up from his book, casting his eyes over a shell of a man in half-elf form. He grunts and stumbles, barely catching himself with a nearby bookstand. The shop owner slowly places his book down and carefully reaches for a wand, always kept close at hand under the countertop. Can I help you? The half-elf crumples to the floor, face first into the floorboards. The shopkeeper winces and breathes in sharply through pursed lips and clenched teeth. Oh, that had to hurt. Blackness and a dull and brutal ache. Familiar, but not like any migraine experienced so far. The half-elf wakes to find himself in a bed, eyes blinking into darkness. The light creak of someone shifting in a chair precedes a lantern coming to life in the far corner. He then notices his vision is blurred and subdued, and his face feels bloated and tender. Oh, you're up. The shopkeeper stands and carefully walks over to the bedside. The half-elf starts to sit up, but with a wince, settles for propping himself up on his elbows. Easy now. Take it slow. How long was I out? Oh, off and on for about two, three days. When you are on, you at least manage to use the chamber pot, for which my husband and I give our generous thanks. <laughs> the half-elf groans, panning around to try and find his cigarettes, and the shopkeep quickly produces one from his vest pocket and gently places it between the half-elf's lips. Outside, if you will... I won't risk any damage to the books or my home. The shopkeep helps the half-elf to his feet and guides him through his house, then the shop, and out the back door, taking slow, deliberate steps the whole way. How did I get here? Wish I knew, friend. Wish I knew. But when you arrived, you took a bad turn. I called for Vandy immediately. She's chief among the local healers. Hit your face good. Luckily, your teeth are intact, but she had to re-correct that nose of yours. Double lucky you weren't in any state to fuss about it. Correcting it made about the same sound as it did when you fell on it. But don't worry, the swelling should come down soon. They step out into the night, the cool air and smell of the back garden are soothing as they settle onto a humble bench. The half-elf lights his cigarette off the lantern, taking a deep drag and letting it out slowly. You know, you kept muttering about a book, the one you brought with you, I presume. Thresholds of Truth, it's called. Quite the artifact, I must admit. You kept saying it was all connected. Does that give you any clues as to why you're here? The half-elf grimaces before giving a nod. I need you to look after it for me. I have some things to take care of and can't risk this falling into anyone else's hands. It takes another long drag. Certainly. So long as I may study its contents myself, and you tell me the tale of how you found it, should you manage to recall. I recall, but it'll have to wait. If you need me... I'll be at the Rod and Boat Club. 
He snubs the cigarette out on the side of the bench, and the shopkeep frowns at the inconsiderate act. Wine Mars, eh? I know it. The book will be safe here, rest assured. And the half-elf rises with uncertain steadiness and heads back through the shop without so much as a goodbye or a thank you. The shopkeep follows him in and toward the front door, and then silently turns to pick up the book now left in his care. Zarmavdian's personal spellbook, journal, collection of formulas. Utterly fascinating. The half-elf's eyes still adjusting and squinting through his swollen lids, he spots a book with a curious and evocative title by the exit. He gives a wry grin to himself and swipes it as he walks out. Inside a smoky, dimly lit room sits a group of serious-looking, hard people, all carrying their unique but familiar signs of a rough life lived. A young Kitsune woman, dressed in simple, functional garb, seems to be the center of attention and the heavy silence amongst them. A clipped ear, a once-wounded snout, the occasional patch of pink-scarred skin among the flame-red and snow-white fur, and a single leather patch over one eye, tells a painted tale of this individual at nothing more than a glance. She sits cross-legged on some musty pillows, the end of an Osirian water pipe in hand. She takes a pole and lets out a plume of smoke before passing the tube to a young man at her left. I bet you five coppers. The rookie coughs. The young man does his best to glare and look older than his obviously few years, and takes a long pull. The woman suddenly elbows him in the ribs, and he sputters and coughs <coughs> hard, smoke nearly exploding out of every opening, like an average daily Alkenstar experiment. He tries again to glare amidst his hacking, but surrounded by the guffaws of everyone else, it eventually dawns on him that he's been the victim of a literal, playful ribbing. A smile at being included spreads across his face as his coughs shift to laughter. As the laughs subside, an older orcoman speaks up. Mera, this is fun and all, but don't you think you should be working on a job? Something that will actually fill the coffers for once? Right, right. And of horsing around, what are the updates on our current leads? <sighs> what about this Rawline character? He's been snooping around the pond kickers for some reason. And he seems like easy pickings himself. Uh, that's the one that's recently divorced, right? Bit of a loner. Total bookworm. Mm-hmm. That's him. Don't know why he's hanging around the puddles. But word has it he's got money in the bank. Or access to the sum, anyway. Speaking of the pawn kickers, what are we going to do about what happened to Din? And the abomination they turned Chalkface into. We don't have the resources to take that head on right now. And we especially can't risk taking down a golem. A murmur runs through the group. An obvious sense of doubt and negativity at its foundation. The vulpine woman stands up, and her stunted tail, another injury of a violent life, 
manages to make an almost grand gesture. Look, you all voted me in. You're going to have to trust me. Now is not the right time. We have to be ready, else we end up like Din ourselves. More murmurs come through, but with a little more approval. Anyone who disagrees can scarper like Vale, or find themselves strung up on the pond kicker's clotheslines. A very mixed murmur rises for the third time, but the woman stands her ground. Right. Now, tell me more about this Raline character. Maybe his resources are what we need to actually settle this matter with the kickers, after all. You know, I didn't vote for you. A half-elf man stands up and steps out from a dark corner. The glow of a cigarette between his fingers burns brighter as he takes a drag. Shadows and light dance across his face, showcasing his apathetic expression. Although, you are right about him having the resources you need. I wouldn't recommend going after this Rawline character. All eyes on him. The Kitsune woman shifts into a more readied stance, her ears twitching forward as she narrows her good eye. And why is that? The half-elf drops his cigarette casually and stamps it under his heel. Because he's me, and I have no shiny baubles to decorate your slummy, robbering shelves. He spits on the floor with disgust at the lot of them. And slowly, one by one, everyone stands. Clubs and daggers and swords are drawn, and a semicircle is created around the half-elf. The Kitsune on the open side in a stance that dares for a duel. Don't get me wrong. I respect your hustle. You're just distracted enough to not be very good at it. Not like Vale was, anyway. The Kitsune gives him a coy, one-sided smile. That's more a bearing of teeth than a gesture of good humor. We're the halfkin now, not the half-brothers. Whatever hustle that came before is irrelevant. Sure, sure. If you don't mind the streets talking, if you don't give a fuck about what reputation precedes you, you see, I don't want to be used anymore then you want to be dumpster diving for ham scraps and rotten goblin grade pickles. I got a plan and a goal, and I'd rather see us both transcend the skies instead of lurking in the shadows. He gives his best warm, albeit obviously fake smile. The Kitsune stares at him for a moment before returning the exact same smile. Oh, please. Wise and all-knowing Rawline, tell us then. What should we do to get the people whispering the name of Hafkin in the streets to have them falling into our sheets? Isn't it obvious? You are already discussing it. Chalkface. The room grows nervously quiet, and the young man who was most recently the butt of a joke stands up with a shaky confidence. You... 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 You heard Mira. We aren't ready for that. He's hes not even Chalkface anymore. Not, not after what Din did to him. He's an abomination now. Some weird mix of alchemical components and machinery. The half-elf sighs, letting out a narrow jet of smoke. He may be that, 
but he also represents the greatest failing of your little enterprise. A blemish on your reputation. And to my knowledge, the only real reason your Mira is in charge now. The group collectively shifts forward as if to strike. The half-elf raises a halting hand. Until she does what Din did, and she proves herself, of course. The group moves in again, their kinship and camaraderie the only motivation they need. But Mira raises a halting three-fingered paw of her own. She takes a deep breath and levels her gaze. Challenge accepted. Accepted.